I was hiding wine and vodka in my coffee cup at work. And then I would stop at the liquor store on the way home, get more alcohol. And it was just a vicious cycle. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Karen. Now, Karen, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? My secret is I became addicted to alcohol. I was hiding wine and vodka in my coffee cup at work. (gasps) I was driving home from work and drinking while I was driving. Um, And then I would stop at the liquor store on the way home, get more alcohol. And it was just a vicious cycle. Wow. When did this cycle begin? When was the first time you've had your first drink? So I had my first drink in high school and it was like, you know, you dabble in it in, you know, junior, senior year. And then Mm -hmm. I went off to college and yeah, I binge drank, but I was, you know, functional. Like I still went to class in the mornings and I got good grades and that wasn't a a big deal. Um, and then in my mid twenties, I got pregnant. Um, and I was a single mother and it was very, very hard for me to cope. And with all the mommy wine memes out there and merchandise, (laughs) I used that to justify why I should continue drinking, why it wasn't a big deal at the end of the workday that, okay, I'm going to have a bottle of wine because everybody else is doing it. So why not? Yeah. And being a mom, I say all the time is the hardest job in the world. It is exhausting. Mm -hmm. So I can see, you know, after a long day, you want to like relax and, and have a glass of wine. And I get that. So is that how it started or you just hit it full force? Yeah, you know, I started like that, you know, it's a progression, like it's not something that happens overnight. It's not like one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm drinking morning until night and I can't stop. You know, right. It happened over years. And, I, you know, I'm a firm believer in, you know, if there's trauma that happens in your life, genetics, it's just the perfect combination to get addicted. Nobody wants to get addicted, but we, you know, we think that we're immune because we think that like we're different than other mothers that have gotten di- addicted to alcohol. Did um, you, um, does it run in your family? Did you do your lineage and look back? Um, it on my, 
on my my dad's side there's a bit of addiction and then mm-hmm. on my mom's side there's a little bit as well but it's not like full force it's not like anybody who's been to AA or been to jail over it or had any you know serious consequences over yeah, it yeah for mine i looked back and it was on my mother's side and and alcohol and then it, it transformed in different ways like some people became workaholics some people became mm-hmm. overeaters i became a sex and love addict so i just find it so fascinating if you look back usually it's in our it's in our genetics you know right right for sure So you are a single mom. It progressively begins, you know, can you take us through that journey of like, till you hit your bottom? Of course. So, you know, at the first couple of years of motherhood, I feel like, yeah, (laughs) you're just just going through the the motions. You're just, you're just trying to survive. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, so I wasn't really focused too much on alcohol. I was more concerned about sleep than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, my grandparents died, uh, nine months within each other, like nine Mm -hmm. months apart from each other. And they, you know, pretty much raised me and, you know, they took me out to eat during the summers and they took me blueberry picking and apple picking and all did all this stuff with me. So it was a really big loss. And that was like the first big loss that I've ever experienced in my life. Right. And I just didn't know how to cope. And at the time I didn't realize that, you know, I was using alcohol to cope, but obviously not looking back, I know that I was. Um, and I tried to stop, you know, there was a point where I knew it was getting a little out of control and I wanted to stop. So I tried to stop two other times before I finally went to detox. The first time I went home to Connecticut at the time I lived in Rhode Island and I went home to Connecticut to stay at home with my mom for a week just to make sure I was okay and things were fine. And then I get back to Rhode Island a couple weeks later, I start drinking again, like lesson not learned. Like I'm like, Oh, I can go back to moderation. No big deal. <laughs> I always <laughs> love that. You're like, I'm fine now. I had a couple weeks exactly. off. I can have just one. So obviously it didn't happen that way. <laughs> no, no. And then, yeah, maybe it did at first, you know, for like the first month I was fine. And then, you know, it got worse and worse again. Then I started drinking again during the day on the weekends. And then at night it'd be, you know, I'd be, getting sloppy again. So the second time I tried to get sober, I went home again to my, to Connecticut, to my mom's house. And I actually went into the hospital that night just so they could see, because I was, you know, I was, had drink, been drinking more at right. that point. So, um, I went, you know, I was in the hospital overnight and they're like, Oh, it's just anxiety. You just have really bad anxiety because I wasn't truthful. I wasn't honest really about how much I was drinking. I was ding, just like, ding, yeah. that's usually a problem. If you're not, if yeah. you're keeping that secret from the doctors, I always find exactly. that fascinating. You're like going in to get help and then you're lying to the people that are supposed to be helping you. Exactly. So I'm like, this was, it wasn't going to help. So ultimately he said, you know, go to this intensive outpatient program Mm -hmm. for, you know, five to seven days for anxiety. And then, you know, we'll see what happens. So I did that. And what did I do? I celebrated with alcohol (laughs) on the last day. Like, it makes no sense. Well, you're, it's an addict. You're an addict. We never, we never make sense. Nothing is logical at all. Right. Um, So I, you know, and then at that point, 
it started to get worse and worse. And that then it got to the point, like I said in the beginning, where I started having shots of vodka before work. And then I was bringing wine or vodka in my coffee cup so I could sip it at my desk. Meanwhile, I'm in a cubicle and here I am thinking that like the two women next to me can smell it on my breath or like see it in my eyes or whatever, but they couldn't. Nobody knew. And that's like the baffling. Yes. Like nobody knew, which is so baffling to me. I remember. That is so baffling because when I talk to somebody and they drink wine or have a drink, I can smell it. And right. Wow. Yeah. So it was like a secret, like you literally drinking out of your coffee cup and right next to you in the other cubicle are these two other women. Exactly. Wow. And I was just so baffled. Like I came, quote unquote, came out on Facebook um, my with my year of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And all my ex-coworkers were like, I had no idea. We had no idea. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, like I said, I'm just like uh, shocked that nobody could tell. Like I wasn't really me, which just goes to show you that. I was, you know, functional. Like I was a high functioning alcoholic. Which which is the scariest kind when you're high functioning and your world is not crashing down around you or you're not living on the street corner. That's where it's like really hard to quit. Right, exactly. Um, And that's a great point because we have this thing or the stigma that, you know, if you're not homeless under a bridge and you haven't lost your job, then you're, you know, nothing is wrong with you, but that's going to be further from the truth. Um, you just haven't let yourself get to that point yet. Um, so yeah, you know, I was drinking all day and then, you know, I, my, I wasn't hitting my numbers. I was a business development executive and I was not hitting my numbers. I was not doing my proposals the right way. It was just, I was just a hot mess. (laughs) And then um, they're like, you know what? It's time for us to let you go to part ways. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, okay, it's summer now. So I'll just, you know, keep drinking. My son's home. I don't have to drive him anywhere. So I pretty much just kept drinking all day, all night. Um, And then November came around Mm -hmm. and... I woke up on November 14th, 2016. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I am literally going crazy. Like I was drinking to relieve my anxiety, quote unquote, relieve, Mm -hmm. but it was making it a hundred times worse. And I got to the point where even alcohol wasn't even touching the anxiety. So that's when I knew like, I really, really needed to get help. Was it something that happened or you just literally woke up one morning and and was sick and tired of being sick and tired with the secret? Yeah, I was just sick and tired of hiding it, sick and tired of, you know, I didn't want, my son didn't deserve it. That's what it comes down to. Um, You know, through this whole experience, I had one of my therapists had actually threatened to call child protective services on me. Um, So I left that out, but it's, you know, it was a key piece of the puzzle too, because that was one of the times I went to my mom's was because I didn't want to stay in Rhode Island just in case they were going to come to my house and take my son. Um, So I knew that I couldn't keep going on like this anymore. And my son, he didn't deserve it. He didn't choose this life. So I knew I had to stop. 
I, I was at the same thing with my sex and love addiction. I remember waking up going, do, am I going to keep doing this the rest of my life? Like, am I going to be 70 and doing the same thing, right. which I'm slowly killing myself pretty much. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's another life. Yeah, n- no way. Because, you know, I saw like a guy shooting heroin on a street and I he's like blatantly like trying to kill himself quickly. And I was doing it more slowly. It, I was no right. different from him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, we don't hear about love and sex, sex addiction a lot, which I'm happy that you're speaking up about it because it's something that you know, we definitely deal with people deal with it a lot in our society. And oh, um, it's rampant. And it's more every year I'm in it, it gets bigger and bigger. But I was talking with someone the other day. And I said, you don't understand, I go and speak at jails, I've done it for a couple of years. And every woman in there is because of love or sex addiction. She's killed somebody for her man. She's killed her man. She sold drugs for her man. Like, the list goes on and on. I mean, That's it's crazy. a deadly, deadly disease. I mean, yeah. if you if you look at like a lot of crimes, usually it's over sex and love and money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those are the three most common for sure. So it's November 14th. You make that decision. Who's your first call? What do you do? Who do you tell this secret to that you can't live drinking like this anymore? So I called my mom, um, me and my mom have always had like a weird relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel that she is a narcissist and growing up, it was just, I, she didn't give me the love I thought uh, I deserved. So, um, you know, things are better now with her, but anyways, at that time I called her and I was scared. I'm like, what is she going to think? Like, what is she going to do? She's going to yell at me. Like what's going to happen. Right. Um, but she was actually great. And she, you know, called detoxes in Connecticut and got me into a bed because that's another problem that a lot of us see is having a bed in a, in a detox facility. Um, so she got me the bed and I went in there and it was hell. Yeah. But I'm just it's happy. brutal, right? Yeah. Brutal. Uh, but I'm just happy I made it out on the other side. And that's, you know, I never want to go back to that place again. And that's something that always keeps me on track. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, you know, anger, I had a lot of repressed anger. Um, and I think I used alcohol to let that out. And when I did drink, I was angry. There was no holding back. Oh, you were an angry drunk. Yes, yes. I was not a happy drunk. Well, I mean, sometimes I was. It's not like every single time I'd get angry. But most of the time, I would definitely, you know, pick a fight or, you know, say things I shouldn't have. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it it was not good. Do you know where that anger comes from? Have you done the work around that? Yeah, it comes from my childhood. It comes from my mother um, and the relationship that, you know, ultimately we didn't have. Um, and, and that's the thing. I think with a lot of addiction, it comes from childhood. It's something yeah. that we've grown up with. I, I'm right there with you. I mean, when I was a couple of years sober in my program, my I had a talk with my mother and she was always like very workaholic, 
you know, not the warmest person. Like if we got yeah. sick, she would be like, you're not sick. And I'm like, I'm yes, sick. Yeah. Yes. So when I finally got, you know, sober from my addiction, I had a talk with her and it was so beautiful because she had this moment where she said, I'm sorry, I didn't know how to be a mother. I didn't have a great mother. And then when I looked back at my grandmother, she was a horrible mother. She was very abusive. So mm-hmm. it that moment definitely lifted anger from me. Like she did the best she could. I'll Sometimes kids, all we need is someone to say, I'm sorry. Like, yes. I, yeah. So I, I'm right there with you with the mother thing. And now yeah. we have a great relationship. It's like people take should take responsibility for their actions and mm-hmm. things would just open up. Right. And, you know, I, I agree because it wasn't all her. Like, you can't blame anybody else. Like, I put myself in these situations. Yeah, just because she wasn't, like you said, the warmest mother growing up or mm-hmm. did things that I didn't agree with doesn't make my behavior any better. Oh um, yeah. Just because someone's mean to you, you can't be mean to others, right, you know? Right. Exactly, exactly. But hurt people hurt people. Yeah. So when yeah. any, I see anybody's behavior where they're like aggressive or angry, it's like that person must be really in a lot mm-hmm. of pain to behave like that. Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, I think another part of it too is forgiveness and it's not, you know, people think of forgiveness like, oh, you're giving in, but it's not, it's, it's, it's for you. It's not for them. It's that inner peace of just letting it go. Like I can't change anything of the past. I can't change my, my childhood. So why am I going to keep stewing on that and holding that in? It's just not worth it in the grand scheme of things. No, forgiveness is the key to freedom, I believe, because mm-hmm. when you hold that resentment, like they say, you're just drinking poison, hoping the other person is going to die. Exactly. You yeah. know, like I'm so a- the other person has no idea, you know, most of the time. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think I would be jealous of the, you know, perfect, quote unquote, perfect relationship or, (laughs) yeah, you know, the, the stereotypical white picket fence family when I knew like it was just me. Um, I was a single mom and maybe I had, you know, I was a little bitter of that. I had a chip on my shoulder. So what's the hardest part you think being a single mom? I just want to ask. Yeah. You know, the hardest part is doing it all. It's like, you're the teacher, you're the cleaner, you're cooking dinner. It's just everything. And you don't get that free time. And being a single mom, it's like, you're constantly with them 24 seven. There's no like, Hey, you know, see on Monday, you know, you drop them off on Friday or Saturday morning, and then you see them again on Monday. So you have a couple days. Um, it's like legit all the time, but you know, I moved back to Connecticut because I knew that was one of my triggers was being overwhelmed and just not being able to do it all. So thankfully, you know, I moved back to Connecticut, my hometown, and I'm able to have support from family, um, which is, you know, really, really helpful. Also being, I find being it's a blessing being an addict and being a sober addict, let's say, and a mom, because Mm -hmm. I feel like I handle triggers and things like that with my child. Does that do you, are you grateful now that you're sober and that you're a mom? Like, do you feel like you have better tools? 
Oh, 100%. Um, you know, before I used to just like, you know, I, I wouldn't talk about issues. Like I, if he was, you know, having a bad day or angry, I just kind of be like, Oh, suck it up. But now <laughs> it's like, we talk through it. Like if, if he's crying, if I hurt him and not like physically, but like emotionally, if I like snapped maybe one day, cause mm-hmm. you know, he was all just mothers do nerves. it. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, it's now it's recognizing like I'm, you know, I apologize and I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, mommy is just having a rough day and I shouldn't have taken it out on you. And it's more talking through things instead of just glossing over it and just being like, deal with it. kind of thing. Right. Oh, I love that. Also, I want to ask having this secret and living that life for so long of drinking, who do you think it benefited and who do you think it harmed? I honestly, I don't think it benefited anybody. Um, you know, there's not one person that benefited from me drinking all the time, not even myself, you know, I can't even say it myself. Um, I think I harmed everybody in my path and, you know, you could go to coworkers because I wasn't the colleague I should be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, girlfriend wise, I was angry. I was jealous. I was, you know, not the best person to love. I was not very lovable. Um, and you know, obviously my son, you know, I, thankfully I got sober when he was six. I feel like if I kept going on that path, you know, I would have harmed him even more because Mm -hmm. their childhood is important. Um, and children know they're smart. They know what's going on. Like they observe everything Mm -hmm. and we think that they don't, but they do. You know, my, my son equates Rhode Island with me being sick, um, and Connecticut with me being well, which is, you know, it's a, it's, I I can't believe he, you know, distinguishes it like that, but it's just what he observed. And how have you moved forward now with your, with everything going on and being sober? So I, like I said, I moved back to Connecticut and Mm -hmm. I ditched the business development uh, field and I started to do something that I'm passionate about and gives me purpose and lights me up from within. I'm so grateful for every single experience that happened to me while I was struggling and, you know, every single experience now too, because it's brought me to where I am today. And I'm so grateful for the life that I have now. Yeah. And I love that. Sometimes our darkest moments lead us to the light. And that's what I love. And I love people that have gone through something so hard and come out on the other side. Those are my favorite kind of people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The women and, you know, really the community, the sober community that I've found on Instagram has been incredible. Lots of lots of great, strong women who are constantly, you know, lifting one another up. Mm, I love that women helping other women. So my last question before you go, if anybody is listening and struggling, especially as a single mom and has a couple more glasses of wine than they should, or just finding themselves in that spiral and not being able to get out, what would be your advice for them? 
My first, you know, the first piece of advice I would say is set a goal. Like if you're finding that you're drinking more than usual, set a goal for 30 days. Say, you know what, I'm not going to drink for the next 30 days. And if that 30 days is really hard for you, then it's time to reassess. And it's really time to take a step back and see why you're drinking. Like what are the real reasons behind it? And, you know, find others who are in your similar situation and, you know, follow sober mom on Instagram, the hashtag, there's tons of us out there. Um, you just have to be willing to reach out. And that's the hard part is asking for help. I know a lot of us who deal with addiction where, you know, we don't want to be seen as weak, but that asking for help is the opposite of that. So definitely, definitely reach out. Yeah. That's what I think. Asking for help is why I did this podcast because it's letting go of your secret is asking for help. Like Mm -hmm. here I am, Mm -hmm. here's me and all my flaws and things I have done. Absolutely. And it's so healing too. Like once we're able to actually voice our secret, it's like, oh, you know, like a weight is lifted off of our shoulders. Yeah. Thank you so much. So lovely to talk to you. Thank you. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.